I'd like to begin with a trigger warning. This is completely, utterly mad. You're gone. I want to cast a spell over you. So would you do me a favor? I would like you to listen closely. It's going to be a little difficult to understand it. I'm going to speak the spell in its original language. Now, first-time magicians might be a little nervous about when a teacher first casts a spell and then maybe ask them to do the same because... Everyone knows that if you mispronounce the spell, well, magic can still happen, and it might not be the magic that you intend. So if you don't know how to cast the spell, and if you don't know how to use your wand, well, of course you shouldn't ever bother quoting the Bible. I'm going to cast a spell over you. Are you listening? Are you ready? Are you curious? What the heck? Yeah, just shh, shh. Agora, agora, stete gar temes. Now I don't know if a Patronus just flew between us, you and me out there in listener land, way on the far side of the world where the devil reigns. But I do know that the Holy Spirit of my triune God absolutely just preached to me. And, well, I'm going to preach it to you. I have a personal history with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or if you like gamifying things for the sake of fun, Incantation 6, spell number 20. I'm familiar with this ancient and ritualistically given, repeated, handed down, quoted, referenced, spoken, cast, set of words. Because on the day of my confirmation, in the spring of 1992, they were given to me. Now, I, I'm really not quite sure what I'm going to tell you about that. I don't remember being 12 all that much, to be honest. There was a phone that was used sometimes, pizza on Sundays, Star Trek with the parents, maybe, like Next Generation kind of stuff. And I, I know I wasn't well-liked at school. I mean, uh, tears and middle fingers, and, and that's all what I was doing, right? So I clearly was not handling something in a... But with a modicum of decor, huh? I'm trying harder now. I, I, I've i learned. I see a little better. Twelve. I was twelve. But still, I was. it was a weird time for me. Absolutely bizarre. 
I think I was confused. I think I was overloaded, honestly. It, it, the more that I learn about the modern age, and by that, I'm going to use that word just now, by that I mean the age since the media made us start communicating so fast. The more that I see and learn about life of the 40-something, which is what I am, in this modern age, is that we're just overloaded. <laughs> there's too much in, there's too much coming for me to process this. And so whether it's by some sort of like immunodeficiency or whether it's by absolutely going bonkers in our heads with our OCD, we're all just a little bat poo loony. And, and you got to think about it this way just to touch. I, I am no evolutionist, but it's, if you can imagine that man in the paradise given was made to live like unto some ancient herdsmen or mobile sojourning peoples in, in tribes that just move across great plains. And you take that person and you drop them right smack in the middle of, of New York City, Manhattan, right there. Then you made me shout coronavirus into the air around everybody, right? See what that happens to that poor guy. I, he is going to go into what's called a fight or flight response, which I'm pretty convinced at this point I do every single time I get in a car. And now I'm, I'm working on channeling what to do with that fight or flight when I find it. But what it means is that you're prepared to live in not the paradise anymore, but the one that was a reflection of the thing I just described. Now broken and fallen, and if there is a dangerous thing, you have two options, fight or die. And so your, well, your immune system, your hormones, your muscles, your nutritional system, your whole body goes into a flare. Your spirit is alive with, what, adrenaline, cortisol, all the good stuff, right? And up you go and kaboom, right? You got, you got to fight or fly. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of us living in the modern age, we're kind of like always doing that. And this is the problem a little bit here, right? This is, this is the issue with our, our age. It's not just a generation, nothing to do with that. Gen X, millennial, I don't care. It's getting busy. Busy like a 12 year old confused me could never have possibly imagined. And I, and I think back and I wonder, so is this just the perspective of the ages? Is this just what I couldn't see that my dad was dealing with? Or, or is there something that technology, may his name be praised, <laughs> is it something that technology has over us and is doing to us? Are we, are we being adapted to it? And how, how would we even know if that's going on? Who, who's watching with that experiment and, and, and keeping track? In any case, 12 is so far away for me. But I, I remember, I remember the problems that I had. I remember a loving family that, well, LCMS, absolutely, with everything that means, ups, downs, sideways, backwards, and uh, left field sometimes. Well, they did, they cared for me. They fed me, they raised me, instructed me, taught me spells from the Bible. They didn't teach me they were spells. They just they they taught me they were verses. And well, spells, I don't know if that was even a word. I, I watched some movies once where there were spells and dragons and things. I like that stuff, but I don't know if He Man didn't cast spells, nothing like that. Speed Racer didn't have spells. I didn't really think about it much, but verses that didn't mean anything either. So whatever. I I learned a lot of them though. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for all the things my family did to me. Did to me. Did for me. Well it was both. It's what we are, it's what family is. I'm thankful for all of that. Where I was at that time, 
was not good, though. No matter how I look back at it, no matter how many times I try to understand it and try to make it something I learned from to be a better man today, I do know this. It was a fragile time for me, and I'm pretty confident for all 12-year-olds ever. It was a time where things mattered when they were said. And especially when they're said about you. It was a time where words that would be given to you, along with something, say, like a, a vow unto death, unto a religion and church, maybe body. Along with things like that, you're given a small set of words, an, an incantation to be invoked, in theory, with significant regularity throughout the rest of your God-given life. As God's own, in, in a sense, by the church, man's tradition, gift to you of your own personal magic spell. Now, already... I can hear the screaming from the alt-whatever. Yeah, it's not magic. They're not spells. We're just playing with the words to think twice for a second. The problem, the problem is disbelief in God. The problem is not believing in the power of his word to simply be a truth that cannot be broken. I mean, if, if, if you've got a problem with faith in the word of God to stand apart from us and save us, then I guess you're going to have to rage. But if, if you don't have a problem with that, then, then, then just slow down here. Just, just imagine with me how this, how this works. All I want to do is ponder with modern, post-enlightened imagination what it means to believe in an inspired and without error word of God written down in a book for us to look up and do what with? Speak. Why? In a war. Against who? Powers and principalities of the present darkness and their strongholds of lies. What is your might? What is your sword? Well, we're proud to say the sword is the Bible. Yeah. The Bible, the sword that comes out of your mouth, shatters the darkness. I mean, I'm sorry. If that in a spell, I don't know what is. At least, I mean, the history of magic, I don't know enough about it to be true. All I know I learned from fantasy books, and I don't take them seriously. Because they're fantasy books. They're lies. They're lies by which you might learn a truth, a moral truth at best. Sometimes you can see redemption peeping through the shadows of history. But, by and large, they're just stories. That's all they are. But the Bible, see, the Bible's not just a story. There's nothing just story-like about the Bible at all. All the claims that make this some kind of random hodgepodge of, of ancient literature, they fall on their face the moment you get into the actual text and dig with it with any modicum of honesty. 
and openness. Doubly so if you'll bother to research the resurrection with some, you know, scrutiny that is not pre-biased. But again, I wonder, such thoughts were not really the ones I was having when I was 12 and struggling and fragile like all 12-year-olds in an overstimulated age. And on that day, the pastor whom I still care about deeply and with fondness gave me a Bible verse. Imagine it how you will. That I immediately despised. I despised it, and I knew why. And I have got to admit, I think, if I'm honest, I've despised it ever since. And I can tell you why. The verse says, You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That's what was on my card. That was it. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. I believe there's a little remainder of the verse that did not get in. But this was the spell that was cast on that day over my life. And I do not doubt its power. I despise these words of God which truly spoken from heaven stand for all people. And in this, then, as a spell, my conscience was bound in a way that perhaps without these words it never would have had been. Now, I can't say, and I do not know the paths in the multiverse that doesn't exist, which might have been. What I know is that as a 12-year-old boy filled with passion undisciplined and overstimulated in all too many, well, newfangled ways. I saw that reminder of what I had been taught in youth group, don't stand by the girls. The reminder of that was not one that sat well with my conscience, and it sat even worse with my conscience. In the days after, as a mm, foolhardy high school boy, and beyond, made mistakes that would lead me to be bothered by the text every time I think on it. And so I don't know. I, don't, I guess I've never blamed myself for not writing it down, having it tattooed on my arm. Did you tattoo yours on your arm? I, I think it'd be cool, actually, in a lot of ways. But can I be blamed for, for letting it slide a little bit? Uh, as a Christian, a repentant man coming back into the church, then getting married, like, you know, all of that. This is years and years and years ago, right? This this being there. But the knowledge of your sin, no matter how far in the past it might be, if you truly believe it to be sin, is going to be, bring you to regret every time you remember it. And as a result, the verse has always been one which has, again, just kind of, Oh, yes, Jonathan, oh, thinking on the worst days. Forgive me, Lord, and move on. It never been one of joy for me. Now, I don't know if the chicken was before the egg or the egg was before the chicken on this one. But somehow, I believe it was yesterday morning, not this morning, yesterday morning, I, I, I found myself in a position of prayer 
I'm really making an effort to have prayer be the first thing I do every day. It is hard in the modern age, and so I feel the weight with you of not being a good practitioner of this. But I've been making an effort, renewed effort on this. And in a moment of it, I, well, I reached for my Greek, well, Greek New Testament. It's not the primary one. I want to say Greek English, but it's not that either. It is too long to explain how it helps me cheat a little bit. But I grabbed it and I just wanted to take a moment. I wanted to look at one verse in the Greek and I wanted it to be one that I knew. Because I had this, this is inkling that if I made it a, a habit to practice some of the text or all of the text a little bit throughout the day, every day, by reciting out loud a phrase of the Greek of a verse I knew and loved and then remembering it and kind of learning the grammar again and everything as I did it, that this would bring, well, light to my life. That I would quite literally be casting light into the darkness around me so far as my own personal experiences go, so far as my own personal emotions and outlook on the day might go. I thought, you know, if I have if I have the word of God about good things, and, and you know, I'll, I'll admit that in my own head, I do not hold back from the potty talk. So, you know, is why on earth? Not that in my own head, but why on earth, Jonathan? Don't you memorize some Bible verses and start speaking them? Because that just seems like a really good idea. When I was 12 years old and getting confirmed, I had just finished running the absolute gambit of what I, I'll just let's just refer to this sort of in storybook form as the kingdom of the Lutheran day school. And if you are, as I assume many of you are, from outside of LCMS circles, or maybe even Lutheran circles originally, well then, the idea of the Lutheran day school really is like a mythological beast you've never heard of that I've now got to describe to you. Because it's more than just a school. And in, in so many good ways of old, it's a grand heritage that Lutherans carry to want to raise their children in the faith. That's that's the roots of the idea. But it's not always played out so well. And in the last 20 and 30 and 40 years of American decline, it's just led to a lot of fighting between churches and schools and well, between families in churches and schools as as the, the belts have to get cinched and Things have changed. But let me just say that, that if you were in a Lutheran day school in its heyday, you thought you lived in the kingdom come as a little kid. To, I mean, as a, to, to some extent, Jesus was God. Life was great. The, the teachers sang song with, songs with you. You memorized Bible verses. You had to do your work. Sometimes things got a little weird. Uh, our congregations could get in fights. Of course, all these things still happen. But like the life of, of the Lutheran seemed like a worldwide thing. What it was, was a sociocultural experiment by, well, who? I don't know. History, the zeitgeist, in which a very uh, re reclusive group of North Europeans for a time lived in America as Americans without becoming American in English. And, and sustained it for a few generations and set up this Lutheran day school system so as to train their children to be Christians and then transitioned 
fully into the English-American life, and with it, well, experienced a great deal of other changes. But at the root, then, of this the schooling system that you can go and, and watch their, their Illinois State basketball tournament on online, you, they had a kid that could dunk a few years ago in eighth grade. I mean, high-quality stuff. In the midst of all of that kind of extension of the Lutheran Day School, what I know was happening to me, that had been happening to my grandpa, that had happened to his grandpa, was I was made to memorize Bible verses. When I was 12, I, I knew a lot of them. I walked away and did all sorts of foolish things. And when I came back, I knew a lot of Bible verses and it has everything to do with the Lutheran Day School and how it, well, force-fed me by German instruction. Thankfully, it taught me how to do rote memory, which in fact drove, drove some of them so deep that I still look up NIV translation stuff while trying to find it in the NI, in the ESV, which I use today. Hi. Thank you for it. But so this is my quandary now. Was that all done just kind of like a, I don't know, drill sergeant. Now you're in. You memorized them. Just try not to forget them all before you die. Right? How, why? What is the intent of memorizing a Bible verse? When you're, when you're going to quote chapter and verse, what, what is the purpose of this? What are you trying to achieve? Are we in a kind of in a debate against an intellectual force that really wants to understand Christianity but just kind of oh well can't quite figure it out or 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 are we in something a little bit more well intense than that I guess what I'm asking is why would we have a book filled with absolute truth and not constantly be quoting it. Like, not like I have to point my finger at you and, and again, tell you chapter and verse, but like, I just said what it said in conversation to somebody else because it meant something. Is there nothing like that in the Bible? Can we only do it by sitting down in a classroom and having a lecture? If video killed the radio star, let me suggest to you that perhaps verse number memorization killed the Bible verse. But then again, spell number 20 and incantation number 6 the teaching to the Corinthians, number one, it's because of that number that has been trotted out before many other places, I'm sure, as are all the endless numbers of verses that we use for quoting. Because of that number, those words were given to me long ago. And through my, my walk in both darkness and light, they have always stayed to me both a, a blessing and a curse, for it was never lost on me the power of that first part of it, right? Okay, so yeah, honor God with your body for a young man who failed has been uh, a chain around the neck of conscience. But you were bought with a price has never failed to enliven and encourage me. It has always lifted me up, pulled me uh, tightly to the bond that is Christ. 
So, in any case, it's because of all of this stuff together that, again, in prayer the other day, I thought, I need to take a closer look at this this spell, this verse, right? I, I, I want to see what it says, and I want to teach myself to say it so that I might bring light to my life and mind out in the world by what sober, mindful attention to the moment. And so I opened up this thing. And I started looking at it. And, you know, I, my Greek was always pretty good. And I kept it pretty well. My Hebrew was pretty good. And I kept it not near so well. And it took a few moments to kind of hash out, though, the sounds, get a little remembrance. And then I had to dig because I really didn't know this word. Egorazo. I mean, I did. I knew the word agora because I'm an English lit major-ish. And so, of course, uh, Greek history and all that becomes part of the big ordeal of Western literature. And you just by proximity, you eventually pick up, or many people do, that an agora was just the marketplace. It was, it was where the Greeks went and did market. It meant really market. And so here's this word, and, and I'm, I'm looking it up to try to understand it, and I realize this. Oh, it's, a, it's agora. And then, well, then something else struck me. I remember playing a video game when I was, man, I must have been around 12, 14 about that time as well. I'm not sure. It was called Agoraphobia. And I, uh, I, I, I don't remember much about the game. It was one of those point and click ones. It was not nearly as get, as good as Zork and all of its following things. But it, it was like that-ish and some of the later Zorks. It was weird. It was awful. It was called agoraphobia. I don't remember anything about it other than I was like, man, I sure hope I never get agoraphobia because that lady was crazy. Ha, huh. wow. Well, so here I am, you know, looking at this Bible verse and, and I'm remembering this word agoraphobia from this, you know, old back memory of mine. And here we have a an agora that is being referenced with regard to something of great value. Again, it's a market. And then it struck me, wait, 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 wait. It went the other direction. Agoraphobia is fear of the market? What is this? Is it about the Democrats? What? You know, I mean, my mind just went a million places because the word market, agora, can have a lot of different meanings. And especially as you track it through history, how does it become then the root of a word like agoraphobia? It has a lot to do with the original Greek meaning of the word agora and how it became the word for market in the first place because it's not a one-to-one market. When when the Greek said, let me go to the agora, he didn't say as he would hear it, agora, right? And we hear the sound, but what those sounds words, what those sounds were as words was the loud place. The loud place. And so agoraphobia is not so much fear of the stocks, although ground zero, right, of the stocks, um, that would be a loud place. Agoraphobia is fear of overwhelming input and noise. When you're used to something less and suddenly you have too much and it just becomes more than you can handle. 
Now, honestly, I don't think for a moment I actually have a diagnosable agoraphobia. Not for a second. But what I do think is we all do. <laughs> well, I think we all do. I think we have a generation that doesn't even know how overwhelmed we are by all the inputs. And so with that, I'll just thought about my, you don't have to join me on this journey. That's fine. You can just watch from outside and throw peanuts at me. That's cool. But from where I'm sitting to, to reckon with one of my great frustrations of my era being the high anxiety and stress, it, it just kind of brings to everything. So I'm always in this fight or flight. Can I have some, have more coffee? Huh? Breathless pace of, ugh, I don't even like half the stuff I got to do. They exhaust me. There's too many inputs. Well, to have all that, you know, this, this little minor moment of devotional agoraphobia, at the very least, to be descending upon me in my moment of prayer and personal conscience. <laughs> to have the word that I then was actually studying be the, not just the word agora, it's not a one-to-one through some sort of actual linguistic connection here. This doesn't work. If you add it up logically, it's only symbolic, but it works symbolically. It's amazing. As I'm wrestling with the question in my head, hey, Jonathan, I wonder how bad my agoraphobia actually is in this age of OCD madness. My confirmation first says you were bought from the agora. You were bought from the agora. For a prize. And I just can't, I can't begin to describe to you the magic of that moment. And by magic, I mean Disney kind. A verse that for so many years has been law to me became gospel, full and true. With all the fullness of my Lutheran education backing it strongly. Not looking back there. But the power of egorastheta as a word in my life is never going to weaken. Every time I return to egorastheta, I have a gift of memory and power that the world cannot have or know or take away. And it is simply to know that in the loud and distracting painful place I have been transacted. I have been transacted gar to mace for a price. And this one this one surprised me. I mean, I, I knew, I always knew. 12-year-old boy knew. Oh, that's Jesus. Jesus is the price. This is good. Yay, gospel. And, and yes, absolutely gospel. Don't want to diminish that price is Jesus. But the word that here is translated as price, to mace in the Greek, does not have all the same connotations as price. Price is a far narrower word, I think. Than, than this one is. Because there are four potential meanings for the word to mace. And they all are, I think they all are not disconnected from each other. They're like, I mean, we have some words in English, especially where 
the word means more than one thing and the things have nothing to do with each other. I mean, I guess cool and cool, right, is kind of an example of that. But generally in languages, when you have a word that can mean several things, it is because the word has a fluidity in the direction of itself, right? It's, it's kind of connected semantically, if that matters as some grammar talk. I know it puts everyone to sleep. In any case, Timaeus has four kind of semantic edges to it that the hero would pick up on. And they all, they all have such marvelous truth for the Christian in them. So the first meaning of Timaeus is value. Value like, see, price is not value. We're always changing the price. <laughs> is the value always changing at great value? Value is much more than price. It is substantial. It is worth. It is real. You were bought for something that was real or with something that was real. The second one for Timaeus is honor or show of honor. And I love this one. So a show of honor. This is what happens to this day in the United States. And I, I salute this. I salute this flag. This is what happens today when a soldier returns fallen from foreign land. There is a significant show of honor as the body is brought home. The family is greeted. I once watched it from within the airport. A whole crowd of us gathered around. Lord Jesus, preserve us. Preserve us all. A show of honor. Timaeus. You were bought with a show of honor. The third one is the one that we think of with price more. Transaction. Transaction. And exchange. That's price. The third meaning. Third most used meaning. Why on earth is that then what we're saying in the translation in English? I don't know. I mean, there is no word that does all these things. Because the fourth one is the best of all. You were bought for a privilege. Now remember, not your privilege here. The price here being offered, the value, the show of honor, the transaction, all these things are for that thing that then is exchanged for you, right? So so if it means privilege, then Jesus considered it his privilege to die for you as your king, not because you deserve it, because he loves being your king. That is some sweet action, agorathicita gar temes, let me tell you. from the market of destruction and noise. Your king, not duty-bound, but duty-honored, exchanged himself with you in order to make you whole. Now, um, I don't believe in Harry Potter. I don't even like it that much anymore. The books are good, but um, the movies just don't do it for me. 
And I don't believe – well, so here's the thing. I do believe in magic. I believe in demons. I believe they're out there. I believe they do magical-like things. The Bible shows us this. I pray it was only because Jesus was around and they can't do this anymore. I don't know, though. I don't want to know. But I know that Acts, at least, testifies that it's out there. So it's out there, and it's evil, and we should have nothing to do with it as Christians. That's the point of what I'm saying. What do you think it is when your 12-year-old daughter is dancing to a song, singing words that are not the words you want her to live her life by? When the world, all day long, casts its spell over you and your loved ones with a song of triumph, of Babylon's ultimate power and worth. Can you pick up your, your little book? And speak the words of life out loud again. Or maybe could you? I know you do. Do it more. Could you, in church, pay more attention to hearing what you read than reading what is written? Could you think of every single service not merely as you reciting a bunch of nonsense or things you like to hear, but as, in fact... A group invocation of the actual one and true only Almighty God, which he is privileged bound to hear according to his word and in his name. If you want to argue about me making fun of Harry Potter and loving my religion at the same time, I don't know what battle you're fighting. But if you want to fight, if you want to fight whatever is over that horizon of the next 25 potentially terrifying years of life on this planet, well, then I'm your Huckleberry. I'm telling you. Bible verses are not spells, but we should treat them like they are. Well, if that was intense, I think it's because um, you have an intense religion if you're a Christian. More intense than you realize. I mean, you look at that stuff of, on TV of, of Islam and they're all bound down together and doing that. You know, it's all very orchestrated and very, very, very intense looking. And you think, oh man, man, look at this. It's like, it's like, it's like exotic and stuff. And it, it probably there's some fear. I don't know. Your religion is every bit as intense as that. As that. And, and, and I mean, Greek Orthodoxy kind of, kind of embraces this a little bit and old Rome does a bit. Lutherans used to and we still can. And, Protestants wish they could, but they got no substance. Sorry, without flesh. Your religion is intense and powerful, and that is why it is so stunning how atrophied we've become with it. Now, I mean, today's show was 
again, take it for what it's worth. I denounce divination of all kinds, and especially I denounce the blasphemy of the Lord Jesus' name, attempting to manipulate his word for yourself. Wicked fool. But I highly encourage memorizing your Bible and speaking out loud as if it had a way to affect the universe, because it does. It just has a better magic than man's worship of nature. It has the Almighty God's Holy Spirit at work to both convict and make alive. So I hope you enjoyed the imagination experiment. I'm enjoying doing it. I have said today, I think at least 12 times and every time just with a fresh breath, a moment in the sun, the remembrance brought to mind of my salvation from the noise of myself, my passions, and this whole age. And there's nothing like it in the world, and I would not trade I would not trade that word of God for some sort of sorcery for anything. What I am going to trade, and this is the first place I'm going to talk about it, and I probably will talk about it for a little bit before I do it. This is business here, just a touch. For those of you who are so wonderful as to support me on Patreon, and again, this is a big part of how I do make my living and also continue to help the people up here in Rockford, Illinois, with, well, establishing a place where these kinds of words can be said. Patreon has two different ways of supporting a podcaster like me. And and one of them is that you would pledge to support per podcast or as per post, I think is the official sign up. But then the way we've set it up is as per podcast or, and they really have been encouraging this now for a while. They want you to move to a subscription system with a subscription system. Rather than having to get charged every time I do something, you would get charged once per month, flat rate, whatever you pledge to give. Now, the thing about this is, this is probably better for you if you do any kind of accounting with your books. If you don't, it probably will never bother you at all because the way that I set this up, you're you're more or less doing this anyway. So if, if, you're, if you're supporting an artist who puts up like one or two pieces of work every year, randomly, you know, subscription is not the great, greatest idea in the world. But for what we have set out, it... it, it well, it didn't matter until I started thinking about what it might allow me to do in other ways. So here, here's what I'm thinking. Right now, with those of you who support me on Patreon, as the ones I really want to hear from, right now, you are making everything happen. The YouTube channel, uh, the writing I'm doing, Mad Mondays. I mean, all that goes on because I have food on my table. And you're helping that happen. In this, though, you're paying for just the podcast, the Mad Christian podcast, which right now is a bit of a smorgasbord, right? It kind of goes in more than one direction at once, and that's that's part of the fun of it. I, I enjoy it for that reason, mostly. What I'm enjoying less is my efforts to get back to Daniel, possibly Revelation, to go deeper, to plan a little bit more, to not be so tied to the clock. Kronos. Mm, I, I had one I recorded today about our old foe, Kronos. Um, oh, I, was, I, I messed up on it, and I'm probably going to have to do the whole thing again. Maybe not. I may be able to fix it. Maybe easier to do it again. Anyway, point being, 
I had a whole, a whole one that I wanted to do, and then it, it, what it took in order to make it be released today, well, it, it took more work than one day could do. And that's how I've been running these, on and off more or less, sometimes a week or so ahead, which is fine. I don't mind it, but if I'm ever going to do something like the Daniel stuff again, I need a solid day, and then some. If I really want to do a good Dan Carlin style, well, yeah, exactly. So, so here, here's the thing then. I got the thinking. You're also paying for every week the Saturday morning chill. Whether you know it or not, every Saturday morning there's a two-hour show or so, give or take. We're in. Lots of people ask questions and we chat. It's great. And it gets re-pushed re, re onto the podcast. So if you're a Patreon supporter and listen on Patreon, you don't always see this. But on the podcast feed, the Saturday morning chill is also always showing up there as well as audio. So you have, with that and then the sermons, you know, you, you have two and a half, three plus, oh God, four hours of, of audio there every week. And the only thing that's really driving the economy of any of it, again, is just the podcast, quote unquote, which is all tied to per podcast release as opposed to subscription per month. Can you see where I'm going with this? Because what if... That's one of the things I'd kind of like to do. What if I kind of shifted the focus of the primary podcast to Saturday Morning Chill, brought Wolfmuller, brought uh, Kuntz into that environment eventually, and then didn't put out anything to replace what was normally coming out weekly on Thursdays other than letting me piece together a thing here and there toward a, a more interesting field of study, something that I'm not doing on a clock but I'm doing because I'm just darn curious about it. And, well, that's how that stuff happened before. That's what I need the time to have it happen again. So this is somewhat a, a thinking out loud question, and it's it's somewhat just a, so that you know, because here's, here's the real absolute risk in this. Oh, they really made it easy on me, you know? And it's for your sake, and I get it. But so if I click over this subscription shift change thing, first, I can never go back. As a Patreon, uh, you know, Patreonite, I don't know what that's called. Uh, I, I can never go back to the other way. And once I go, if you've signed up to give me $2.50 per show, hence $10 a month. Yeah. If you've signed up to do that, it will convert you over to subscription at that price paid once. So you'll go from a $10 a month supporter to a $2.50 a month supporter. And if you can imagine what that would do to my income or your income, you might understand why I'm a little hesitant here. And there's other ways to, to work the system. One might be to just release the Saturday Morning Chill as its own podcast in place of the weekly piece. And I may end up doing that one. Which would mean that this show right now that you're listening to will have just been Saturday Morning Chill, which is kind of what this show is like anyway. Sort of, just without the guests. And then, how do I get the guests in? Well, again, I need the, I need the elbow room to stop having new projects <laughs> so I can have new projects. Uh, yeah. So, you're my listeners. You're the ones I want to serve. You're the ones I want to tell stories to. You're the ones I hope are following me. Not because... I follow me, but because I follow Jesus. I, ho I hope you are listening. You're a fan. Whatever you want to call it, however you want to describe yourself, I hope what's going on 
is that the spell that I'm casting is no spell, but that the sheep of the shepherd are hearing the voice, and that together we, sheep, are following that voice to Zion. Don't wallow in the muck, my friends. Egorath Seta. Rock on. There's more. Right, 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 right. No doubt the facts have been exaggerated. Yes. Namely, you know about the unstoppable war of Well. Trigger warning. This ain't a safe space. Compulsory insanity. I'm going. Yes, completely, utterly. If you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it bad. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>